Teresa. Uh, please take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament, to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we will be reading uh, verses 7 through 16. This is a very, um, I think, helpful book for us. It, uh, it shows us uh, a church of what I think were probably pretty normal people. Uh, we are normal people, and I think um, this book has a lot to teach us. We looked um, last Sunday night at uh, some of the marks of a faithful ministry. We saw that from the Apostle Paul, and tonight we look at uh, the fruit of a faithful ministry from 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, beginning at verse 7. Paul says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers." For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers." For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last." When I was in college and um, seminary in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, the church growth movement was at its peak. You had guys like uh, Bill Hybels in Chicago and Peter Wagner at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, uh, George Barna with the Barna Research Institute. Uh, these guys were the, the movers and the shakers in this movement. And if you were a, a pastor in that time and, or a seminary student, you were told by most people, if you want to grow your church, you need to read these guys. You need to listen to them because they have their, they have their finger on the pulse of the church, finger on the pulse of the nation, and you need to do what they tell you to do. Now, many of you, or some of you anyway, know that a lot of what those guys had to say wasn't really helpful, and, and history has shown that to be the case. And, and I wonder sometimes what Paul would have thought. What would the Apostle Paul thought of a, a church growth seminar? Now, this is not to say that nothing good came out of the church growth movement. Don't take me to be saying that. But I don't know that Paul would have been all that interested in attending a two- or three-day seminar or reading a 500-page book about how to grow, how to market your church. 
Uh, Paul, from, from what we can read in Scripture, was a man who sought to carry out his ministry in a way that was faithful to the Word of God and, and that showed the, the heart of a shepherd, a heart of love that Paul had for his people. And, and that's really what we see here in this passage tonight. And one of the great things about Thessalonians is you get to see the heart of Paul. Maybe more so than any other book, Paul opens up his heart and, and shows the, the real love that he had for the people in Thessalonica. We're going to look at this passage tonight in two parts. First of all, there is Paul's loving labor. And then there is the Thessalonians' faithful following. Paul's loving labor and the Thessalonians' faithful following. Children, you probably know that, that Paul was a missionary and a pastor about 2,000 years ago. And, and when Paul was a missionary in that time, there were a lot of very spiritually dangerous people out there. And that's true in any era. It's true in our era as well. But, but there were in Paul's day a lot of fakers, uh, a lot of charlatans, a lot of people who were just trying to make money off of religion. A lot of spiritual fakers out there. And, and Paul wasn't immune to being lumped in with those people. There, there were many people who, who questioned his ministry, questioned his motives. A lot of people who said, Paul is nothing more than another religious fraud. Paul alludes to some of that here. You'll notice, in fact, if you look back at chapter 2, verse 3, he, he says that my ministry was not done from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. He says in verse 5, I, I didn't come with flattery. I didn't come to butter you up. I, I didn't come with any kind of greedy desire to, to get something out of you. In verse 6, he says, I, I didn't come to make a name for myself. And, and now to prove that point, Paul is going to give, you'll notice, two analogies for his ministry. And I think this is very helpful. Not, not just for those of us who serve in church leadership. This is helpful for all of us as we serve in the church, as we serve one another, as we raise our children, as we interact with maybe our grandchildren. All of us will benefit from what Paul says here. And the first analogy that Paul gives is that he was like a mother to them. Look at verse 7. He says, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. There's, there's two really important words here, really important phrases. The first word is the word gentle. The word gentle refers to kindness, tenderness, compassion, Paul says, Thessalonians, my, my ministry among you was marked by being kind to you and being tender towards you, being compassionate towards you. Paul was not a, a pastor or an elder or a church leader who just barks out orders. Do this. Get in line. Do what I'm telling you to do. Paul's ministry was gentle. Now what does that look like? What does it look like to have a, a gentle ministry as, as office bearers in the church, as parents in our homes, as servants in the church? What should a gentle ministry looks like, look like? And Paul tells us. He, he says it's like a, a mother caring for her own children. 
You might remember that one of the things I told you when we started this book a few weeks ago is that Thessalonica was known for its lack of concern for children. Children in that day were were seen as being disposable. Not a whole lot different than our own day. When we started this book a few weeks ago, I told you that Thessalonica was a city where, where people would take their children and they would abandon them in the city and leave them for dead. Imagine that. Children, imagine your parents just doing that. Your parents would never do that to you. And yet that's what they did in Thessalonica. They would just leave them. And Paul says, that, that's not my style of ministry. I am gentle and tender and compassionate, just like a loving mother toward her children. You see, we should be known as Christians for our gentleness. Now there's times when, when we have to be firm. There's times when we are righteously angry. But, but we should be known for our gentleness. That's the first word to take note of. Secondly, there's a, there's a phrase that I want to draw your attention to here. It is the phrase, taking care. That's a really interesting um, Greek word that literally means to warm with body heat. To warm with body heat. The, the image is a, a mother pulling her newborn child close to herself. Last week, I think it was towards the end of the sermon, you might remember that I told you that, that one of the things that church leaders should be known for is that they should, should smell like the sheep. Should smell like sheep. In, in other words, church leaders should be close to those whom they care for. They, they don't serve from a distance. They don't hire out someone to do the work for them. They smell like the sheep. They are close to the sheep. And the the same thing is true here. Paul was a man who was close to God's people. Like a a mother pulling her child closely to herself. He he tenderly cared for them. And and this was driven by his love for them. That's what he says at the beginning of verse 8. He he says, being affectionately desirous of you. That's a Greek phrase that, that speaks of a deep inward desire. Paul's heart was for these people. Now, I'm not a mother, and I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather. I know the, the deep feeling of affection I have for my daughters and for my grandsons. But they say there's nothing quite like the love of a mother. And, and that's how Paul, that's how much Paul loved these Christians. He had a, a motherly affection for them. Children, your mothers, you probably know that, that when you're your child was born, it was an amazing moment for you. And, and, and you just bond with those, those children, and, and that's how Paul views his ministry. He had a deep affection for these people. I mentioned to you, I think last Sunday night as well, the, the comment that one of you made to me recently, and that is that the thing you care most about for your children is that they would be in heaven with you. That's a great statement. And I would think that's the deep yearning of every Christian parent, every Christian grandparent. And again, that's what Paul was like with these people. He he wasn't just checking a box. He wasn't just collecting a paycheck. He wasn't collecting any paycheck. He wasn't just 
doing this because that's what he was expected to do. He loved them so much, he had such a deep affection for them that he wanted to share the gospel with them. He cared about their souls. He he even wanted to share himself with them. In fact, you'll you'll notice the great lengths that Paul went to serve this church in verse 9. He says, you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. See what he's saying? He's saying, I I, I love you so much. I, I have such an affection towards you. And, and my love is so deep, my desire to see you do well spiritually is so strong that I didn't want to take anything from you. I didn't want to open myself up to the charge that I'm in this for the money. Remember, Paul was a tent maker. Children, he, he made his living from making tents. He, he relied on that in order to, to support himself, and it was, it was hard work. It wasn't like he was making these, you know, four by six pop-up tents that you take camping with you. These were, these were big leather tents that Paul made. And, and in all likelihood, many of these tents were these big leather tents that the Romans would use for their soldiers. And, and this, this work would be long, hard work that would take hour after hour after hour. And so Paul is saying, I I worked at this, I labored at this because I didn't want to take anything from you. Now, now Paul's not saying that that pastors and missionaries shouldn't be paid. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I think the principle is that when when a man goes into an environment where there is no church, maybe to a mission field where there are no believers, you're not going to have people there to pay that missionary. And so he's either going to have to get support from another church, maybe his sending church, or he's going to have to find a tent-making ministry. He's going to have to be bivocational and support himself that way. And that's what, that's what the Apostle Paul did. And the overarching point that, he, point that he's making is that, that I worked hard for your sake because I care about you like a mother cares for her children. Those of you who are mothers, you you know that you work very, very, very hard. You're you're never off duty. You never get a break in a certain sense. But you continue on because you have such a deep love for your kids. And and really, when you think about it, this this is an image that should characterize a leader in Christ's church. We should care about People. We should care about those entrusted to our care. We should, we should know their struggles. We should know their sorrows. We should know their joys. We should know their concerns. We should pour ourselves out to serve them. We should work hard for the purpose of their spiritual growth. And if we can't do that, if, if we say, you know, I, I don't have that desire, that's not my driving passion, maybe that's a sign that the Lord has not called you to a place of spiritual leadership. And so the first analogy he uses is is my ministry is like a mother among you. And that's what we're called to. Not only pastors and elders and deacons, but but all of us as we serve one another. We should be gentle and tender and compassionate. We should care for one another. We are a family. We're not just a bunch of disconnected individuals who show up here at 9.30 and 6 on Sundays. We are a family. Second analogy is like, he says, I'm like a father towards you. 
And you'll notice that, that within this analogy, Paul speaks of two things. First of all, he talks about his example. Look at verse 10. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Dads, you know that this is important, right? Your, your example in your home is very important. The example of, of loving your wife, the example of serving in your home, uh, the example of working hard at your occupation, the example of doing your work with excellence, example of serving within the church. As, as fathers, we, we are to set an example for our children. This is also true with spiritual fathers, spiritual leaders. Hebrews 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, that is a very sober statement, sobering statement. If members of the congregation are called to imitate the faith and the life of their leaders, what does that say to us who are leaders in the church? Could could we say to other people, imitate my life, imitate my faith, When I was in seminary, I attended a a conference where the speaker was a man named Howard Hendricks. I'm going to assume that maybe almost none of you have ever heard of Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks was a a professor for years at Dallas Theological Seminary. He wrote a number of books, not big in reform circles, but but he was speaking at this conference. And I've gone to a lot of conferences over the years, and maybe you have too. And, and you know, I've got to be honest, I don't remember most of what I've heard. I just don't. But, but Hendricks said something that I have always remembered. Hendricks said, most Christians can't name five sermons they've heard in their life. That's a real blow to us preachers, by the way. Most Christians, he said, cannot name five sermons that they've ever heard in their life. But they can name five people who have impacted their spiritual life. And I think that's true. If we passed a microphone around right now, other than Revelation 18 from this morning, maybe not too many people could name five sermons. But I bet you all of you could name five people who had a big impact on your life spiritually. Now that's not to denigrate preaching. Obviously, God uses the preaching of his word to grow his people. And even when we don't remember a sermon, God has still used that sermon to grow us. That's not my point, that that preaching is bad or outdated. But what Hendricks said is a reminder of the effect that our lives have on other people. Again, you, you might not be able to name five sermons, but I'll bet you can name five people who have played a big role in your life. We are to be examples. Dads, were to be examples in our homes. Moms, too. We are to be examples to one another in the life of our church, and we are to be examples as spiritual leaders to God's flock. Now, now when Paul says, you know, you, you know how holy and righteous and blameless we were, he's not bragging. He's, he's not saying, you know, look how wonderful I am. You all need to try to be like me. 
I mean, Paul understood that, that everything he was and everything he had was by God's grace, but he also knew that God used him as an instrument in the lives of other people, and he's using you as an instrument in the lives of other people. He's using your example in the lives of other people. Don't forget, don't forget the impact your life has on others. Parents, don't forget the impact your life has on your children. Grandparents, don't forget the impact your life has on your grandchildren. Don't forget the impact that we have on one another here at Zion. It's very important. Secondly, though, Paul also talks about his instruction, not not only his example, but also his instruction. Look at verse 11. He says, you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. There's There's a balance here, isn't there? There's a... There's a balance that on the one hand, we are to be gentle. We are to be kind. We are to be compassionate. But on the other hand, we have to at times say, thus saith the Lord. Because this is God's authoritative word. We we have to have that balance. We have to be both. We have to be both kind towards others, but we also have to carefully instruct in the word of God. Pastors and elders and deacons are called to that, but all of us are called to that. We, we don't want to forget this aspect of our, our calling, not just to be an example, but also to instruct, also to teach, to warn. I appreciate what John Calvin said. He said the, the pastor, and I think you could use this also for the elder, the pastor, Calvin says, ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep, in a, in a tender, kind, compassionate way. The other for driving away the wolves. There's a balance, isn't there? Love for the sheep. Tenderness toward the sheep. And a love for the sheep that is so deep and so strong that when necessary, you drive away the wolves. That's what a pastor's called to do. That's what elders are called to do. Notice the three words that Paul uses here. He says, first, I exhorted you. The idea is to to call, to summon, to stir them up. In other words, the, the work of a faithful spiritual leader is calling God's people to press on. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Persevere in the Christian life. Secondly, he says, I I encouraged you. This word has the idea behind it of being comforting. The faithful shepherd needs to come alongside of those who are hurting. And comfort them, console them with the word of God. And third, he says, I charged you specifically to walk in a manner worthy of God. In other words, to walk in a manner that is consistent with our profession. We we profess to be Christians. We profess to be the followers of Christ. And therefore, we are to walk in a manner that is worthy with that profession. This is what a faithful spiritual leader will desire to see in the lives of God's people. Not just a healthy bottom line, not just a lot of programs, not just new members coming in, not just baptisms and professions of faith, but behind all of that, what he wants to see is people doing well spiritually, growing spiritually, growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ.
Secondly, though, we see not only Paul's ministry, but we see the Thessalonians' faithful following. Notice how they responded. Notice the fruit to Paul's ministry. Two things. First of all, they accepted God's word for what it is. Paul says in verse 13, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. You know, that was the, the driving passion of Paul was to preach the gospel. To say this is what God declares. He, he wasn't interested in making a name for himself. He, he wasn't interested in, in pushing the apostlepaul.com. He wasn't interested in a book tour. He wasn't interested in in a conference gig. He was interested in preaching the word of God and not his own ideas. You remember what Paul told the Galatians in chapter 1. He says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. A spiritual leader is not called to preach his own ideas, his own innovations, He is called to explain and teach and apply the word of God. He is called to preach God's truth. In fact, one of the things I love about this passage is that all the times that Paul connects the Bible to God, did you see that? Verse 2, he says the gospel of God. Verse 8, the gospel of God. Verse 9, the gospel of God. Verse 13, the word of God. Again, in verse 13, 13, the word of God. Paul could not have been any clearer. This is God's word. This is God's revelation to us. The gospel we preach is not our ideas. It is God's gospel. And so every church, including this church, would do well to ask the question, is our church proclaiming God's truth? I think elders have that calling. Elders have that calling to examine sermons and examine Bible studies and examine everything that goes on in the life of the church and to ask the question, are these things proclaiming the truth of God? Or are we here with our own ideas, our own philosophy? Now, just because a preacher preaches God's truth, just because a church proclaims God's truth, just because you go out into the world this week and, and proclaim God's truth, that doesn't mean the world is going to receive it as God's truth. Many are, are not interested. Many will laugh at us. Many will be angry with us. Many will say, you know, the Bible is just the word of men. They may hear God's truth, but they do not believe God's truth. In fact, I want you to notice a couple of different words here that Paul uses in verse 13. The first word is the word received. You see that word? Received. Second word is the word accepted. Those are two different words. The word received carries with it the idea of hearing it. All of you tonight, sitting here, unless you've plugged your ears or doing something else, you're all hearing what I'm saying. When, when you go out into the world and, and you tell people the gospel, they hear it. The Thessalonians heard it. They, they heard it as Paul preached it. That's what he means when he says, you received it. 
But the second word is the word accepted. The word accepted means to embrace it, to believe it to be true. Not everyone who hears it accepts it. Not everyone who hears it embraces it. There are some people who receive the word, but they don't accept the word. They hear the gospel. They hear about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, but they don't believe it. That wasn't the Thessalonians. Because of the work of the Spirit of God in their hearts, they they received Paul's preaching for what it was, not the word of men, but the very word of God. What about you? You knew I would ask you that question. What about you? You hear it. You receive it with your ears. But do you accept it? Do you believe it? And does your life show that you believe it? Notice what Paul says about God's word at the end of verse 13. He he says that it's at work in you believers. It's the Greek word energeo. It's the, it's the word from which we get our English word energy. In other words, the, the word of God is powerful. This is a truth we read elsewhere in Scripture, Romans 1.16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, the salvation for everyone who believes. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word is powerful. And, and so as we proclaim it, as people receive it, it's now the work of the Spirit of God to get them to accept it. That's, I think, comforting for us because it reminds us that we don't need to help God's word. We don't need to give it a little boost. We don't need to make it more interesting. We, we don't need to water it down. We don't need to make it more palatable. We don't need to, to, to check the latest polls to see what people like and don't like and then teach kind of like the polls. No, this is powerful. This is the word of God. We, we simply need to proclaim it and let God the Holy Spirit do his work. And so Paul sees that the fruit of his faithful ministry was that these Thessalonians had not only heard the word of God but, but like so many of you, they believed it. They accepted it. And their life showed that they believed it. Secondly, though, they also faithfully suffered for the sake of Christ. He talks about that in verse 14. He says, you became imitators of the churches that are in Judea. And he's talking about their suffering. They suffered immensely. One of the men by whom they suffered, by the way, in Judea was the man who wrote this letter, Paul. Children, do you remember what Paul did before he was a Christian? Do you remember his his way of life? Before Paul was converted to Christ, he was trying to destroy the church. Acts 8 says that he was ravaging the church. He He was taking men and women and dragging them off to prison. Acts 9 says that he was breathing threats and murder against Christians. But in spite of that, the churches of Judea continued. They persevered. They continued to preach the gospel. They continued to live for Christ. And and Paul says, church in Thessalonica, you followed their example. You suffered. And that's a sign, as we saw a couple weeks ago, that's a sign of the Spirit's work in your life. 
when you are willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. This book is so relevant for us. It's so relevant for our life as a church. It's relevant for our lives as individual Christians. It, it doesn't ultimately matter whether you're a pastor or elder or deacon or not. If you name the name of Christ, this passage has a lot to say to you. Our prayer tonight would, should be, first of all, that, that God would work these things in the spiritual leaders of our church, in pastors and elders and deacons, but, but also that he would work these things in all of our lives, that, that we would be gentle like Paul, that we would be kind and compassionate like Paul, that, that we would not be ashamed of God's word like Paul, that we would accept God's word for what it really is. And if God calls us to suffer, that we would do it willingly for his sake, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, a, a, an incredibly helpful passage. It shapes us, shapes our church, shapes our lives as Christians. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would, would work these things, these qualities in each one of us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the careful instruction that Paul, inspired by your Holy Spirit, gives to us. Father, we pray that we would be gentle with one another. We pray that we would set an example in our lives for one another. We pray that we would carefully teach others your word. And we pray, Lord, that if you call us to suffer for your sake, we pray that we would do so with joy, that we would persevere in the power of the Holy Spirit, and thus glorify you in all that we do, we pray in Jesus' name.